get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. 804 with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Darren Pang coming up at 815 as we head into the Blues booth. Plus, we're going to talk to the Mad Hungarian, Al Roboski, coming up at 8 or 930. So a couple of interviews still to go here. And we do invite you to join Michelle and I on social media, both on Twitter, Michelle at M. Smallman, and on Instagram at M. Smallman. Mm-hmm. I am at Randy Carriker, uh, and I have to change this. I just haven't gotten around to it, but it'll be more efficient for you. I'm at Randy Carricker on Twitter and RJ Carricker on on the Insta. On the gram? Yeah. <laughs> We're all upset, aren't we, about where baseball isn't right now? I, I shouldn't even say where baseball is because where baseball isn't. And that means not playing and not even close to having an agreement, apparently. I think that's the best way to phrase it because where it is right now is a place that we don't want to be. We are upset by where baseball isn't is a beautiful way to say it, Randy. And earlier today, we heard some of the comments that the Cardinal Chairman Bill DeWitt Jr. had made on Frank Cusimano's show on 590 The Fan. And one of the things that Frank feels and we feel is that baseball is really hurting itself in terms of its future by having all this public public infighting over money as they try to come back from a pandemic. And that's one of the things that on Frank's show on 590 The Fan that he asked Bill DeWitt about. You know, I think it's easy to say that. Um, Baseball's been through a lot over a long period of time, and it has always survived and come back stronger. So, um, you, you know, you can't get too caught up in the heat of the moment and say this is the death knell for any sport, particularly baseball, the national pastime. And I think, uh, you know, this could be a great opportunity for us to help bring the country back. Um, On the other hand, uh, uh, you know, we've had difficulty making an agreement with the union. Uh, But having said that, uh, we certainly plan on playing baseball this year. Do you agree with that, Michelle? I respect Mr. DeWitt wholeheartedly, but I do not agree with him. When we talk about the NFL... When we talk about the NBA, we don't have conversations of how to fix those sports. We're not talking about tweaking the game to making it more appealing to a younger audience. Those sports have star power. People are locked into the NBA and the NFL at all times. What has been the narrative surrounding baseball the past couple years? Where are all the stars? Do we need to speed up the game? Let's talk about pace of play. You know, all, all of these different things. We need to capture a younger audience for baseball. You think having these messy negotiations isn't alienating people? You think that you guys missing this major opportunity to be the first sport to come back and really bring America together isn't damaging your long-term popularity? Because I really, really would would like to make the argument that that it is. (laughs) Here's my analogy. When I was a kid, my parents bought almost all of their stuff, including like my school clothes, at Sears. There was a Sears in every mall, and I assumed that Sears was always going to be there. I bought my first dishwasher and clothes washer and television. I bought them all at Sears in the the 80s. I'm thinking, oh, Sears is always going to be here. 
And even when it took some hits, it was still there. And I said, man, it's always going to be here. I get the sense that baseball and Sears are kind of in the same boat. That if baseball isn't careful because of competition, because of new things that people can utilize their time or money with, that it'll go by the wayside. There there are no more Sears, right? Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there still one over at uh, St. Clair Square? There might be. I you know what, Randy? I couldn't tell you because I don't go to malls anymore. That's another thing I was going to bring up. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can't was, I was even tell you. Because we all thought malls would be around. And yeah, it's... It's comforting to have an owner say, well, yeah, baseball's going to be here. We've always bounced back. But you know what? You're having problems now. People are turned off. You're going to have 32, ultimately, MLS teams that are going head-to-head with you. Young people love soccer. And this year, you say, we're going to come back and we're going to help the country. Well, you know what? Hockey and basketball are going to beat you to the punch. You're not going to be back to save the country because you had that opportunity and those sports are going to beat you to the punch. So I am not as confident about baseball being able to be resilient as Mr. DeWitt is. I am very fascinated by consumption habits and I'm very fascinated by the ever-changing nature of media. Even when I started in this industry, which is why, I mean, 10 years ago, the way that people consume media 10 years ago is completely different than the way can people people consume media now. There's this entire subset, Randy, of YouTube stars that we don't even know who they yep. are that are making millions and millions of dollars off YouTube. YouTube is one of the biggest media platforms out there. And you watch baseball, they're going on Facebook, they're going on YouTube. They're, sports are, are adjusting to the way that people consume media today. And I always find it fascinating whenever I would go to a sporting event, whether it's a Blues hockey game or a Cardinals baseball game, I would sit in the press box and I would just look down and I would see how many people were on their phones. And when you go to a Blues hockey game, some people are on their phones, but the game is so quick and there's so much going on that people were more locked into what was going on the ice. If you sit in the press box, which is at the top of Bush Stadium, and you look down, every person is on their phone at one time or another during a game of baseball. And you, you fall in love with baseball as a kid. And you learn to love the pace. You you love the cadence of the game. You love the rhythm of the game. But now people are taking their kids to baseball games and they're handing them an iPhone or an iPad. And they're saying, you know, watch Daniel Tiger so that I can watch the game. And the kids aren't falling in love with the game the way they were before. And that's why people don't clap anymore. And that's why we need netting down the lines. Because people aren't paying attention to the game. They're paying attention to their phones. By the way, some important texts here. A couple from the 618, including from Lisa, the St. Clair's. Sears is closed, but this one even more important from the 217. Randy, yes, there are Sears still around. Shout out Sears. So, yeah, so good for them. We're, we're happy for them. But which sport do you think is going to be the Amazon that could come in and disrupt baseball now? It's MLS. I think it is too. Because they're going head-to-head from a scheduling standpoint. They start in March. Baseball starts in April. They go through November. Baseball ends at the end of October. So the schedules are head-to-head and the business plan, even though MLS hasn't been incredibly profitable yet. Their business plan appears to be sound in terms of what they're paying players relative to what they're taking in. And they're, they don't have to do as much to make big money. They don't have to be a $10 billion industry to be successful. And I think Don Garber understands 
has a, a better understanding of what his sport needs to succeed. And to tie all of that together, when you go to an STLFC game, when you go to an MLS game in another city, when you go to a soccer game in another country, the fan engagement is through the roof. You're chanting, you're jumping up and down, you're singing. The, the fans are very physically involved in the game in a lot of ways. It not is on a, their phones. Not on their It is a fun environment to be a part of. And you know that when this team comes to St. Louis, they're going to have all of those components. It's going to be a great, great environment. That's our fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth and talk to the analyst from FS Midwest. Our buddy Darren Pang is up in Michigan. Hopefully, he's having a good time up there. We'll find out next on 101 ESPN. This is Carragher and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, Real Wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Character and Smallman, Michelle and Randy, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And it's time for our weekly visit with Darren Pang, our... Blues Booth is brought to you by our friends at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. And Panger is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Darren Pang, great to have you with us. How are you doing today? Yeah, Randy, Michelle, I'm doing, I'm doing fabulous. I'm having a, having a nice day here. I've come up to my little place in, uh, in Michigan and uh, just uh, see, trying to get away from the heat there. But it looks like you're going to have some beautiful weather in St. Louis for this, for this upcoming week. Absolutely so, perfect. That's always nice. Yeah, yeah. it'll be great. Yeah. I feel like, Panger, we need uh, the weekly golf update for you. Are you getting some good golf up there in Michigan? I am. I am getting some good golf up here. I, I, it's, uh, it's a place that I've been at for, for the last four years, and a uh, club here named Prestwick Village uh, Golf Club. And actually, a former NHL player uh, lives on this on, on the same lake. He lives here year-round. Uh, two guys, uh, Joe Koser, which our, our Blues fans certainly uh, know how, uh, how tough he was, one of the toughest that's ever played, played for the Red Wings for most of his career. Uh, he lives here uh, in Highland, Michigan, and so does um, Wayne Presley, another uh, old teammate of mine. And uh, so we play a lot of golf around here, and, and uh, um, weather's you know weather's been spectacular. So um, not as humid here, obviously, as it is in St. Louis. So um, you can get around the course without it really. It's tough there. It sucks the life out of you sometimes with that humidity. So um, so the game's okay. I, I'm, I've got a big match tomorrow morning, so I'm actually grinding it out. I'm going to get some practice in today. And uh, make sure I can win my match against a, a fella that's about six foot eight and it's about two hundred and thirty pounds. Wow. So I've got to, I've got to, I got to somehow get Goliath off the course tomorrow. We need that photo. That's like Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve. You know what? I might. You know what, Randy? I might post that before our match tomorrow. How about Great. that? I'd love it. So if anybody wants to, to take a gander at, at Panger 40, I'll, I'll, I will absolutely do that. <laughs> Beautiful. Sounds great. So, uh, Panger, we're creeping very close to the one-year anniversary of the Blues hoisting the cup for the first time in franchise history. Game 7 took place on June 12th, which is this Friday, and we're all looking forward to the Fox Sports Midwest special feature where they're pre- they're presenting Game 7, and they're, they have special commentary from players and coaches as the game goes on. Were you involved in that process? Well, we yeah we we actually had a a, a lot a uh, lot of tapings were going on uh, prior to that. Um, they've they've likely added a lot since then. Um, so no, but I do know what they what they're doing and how they're doing it because you know because we didn't broadcast the game either, um, which is always disappointing. I was actually hoping last year, guys, that you know that John Kelly and I would 
at, at least do a kind of a mock broadcast. I know the LA Kings had done that in the past and several other teams have done it. Um, just do kind of the, you know, do a broadcast where John and I are calling the game, even though it's not broadcast on Fox Sports, but at least we have it forever. You know, call the last period or call uh, the, the celebration, but uh, that, that didn't happen. They didn't ask us to do that. So although we were there in Boston and we did do a post game and a pregame show on Fox Sports Midwest, I was up there in that press box in that second tier with all our extra players and um, some of the uh, managers and scouts and, and so forth and Bernie Federico and, and, and myself and John Kelly, we were all up there just watching the game like everybody else. And I got to tell you something, that was uh, exhilarating, uh, nerve-wracking, watching Bob Plager go up and down uh, the press box and not watch the ice, the nervousness, and then the exhilaration, the joy when, boy, when I, I, I have to think it wasn't Petrangelo's goal that I thought was the, was the you know, the big one, but I, I thought when Sanford, it got the, the Sanford 4 well, the three. San- Stanford made it four nothing, right. I, I think, or four one, and and four uh, one, and I, I, but I felt that three to one, we looked around and we were feeling so good, and in fact, at that point, the extra players, uh, they left up there, they felt so good about it, they went downstairs in the locker room because, as you know, uh, the players that don't play, they still get dressed so that they can go on the ice and celebrate and be part of the picture, and so when they took off, I felt pretty good about it. What was the environment like in Boston? What were the fans like in Boston at that moment? You know, the um, fans and family, uh, friends that we had that were there for the games um, earlier on, it, it was a, I think they found that it was rather difficult. Um, I remember Mr. Shen, uh, Jeff Shen, and, uh, and his other son, Luke, which everybody knows Luke's a, a big, strong defenseman. He was a fifth overall draft pick uh, in the NHL uh, by the Maple Leafs. So uh, he can handle himself. And Jeff Shen actually played some... Uh, hockey in the WHL, the Western Hockey League, and he's a firefighter to boot, so he can handle himself. But he went up to one time, and I believe it was game five, and he just went up to get a couple of cold beers. And one person kind of got behind him and said, hey, um, you shouldn't be around here. Another person said something like, hey, you know, hit the road. This isn't where you're going to get your beer. And, and it became a little bit nasty up there. And I guess at one point, Jeff looked over at his son, Luke, and he's like, Two of us and three of them. You want to go? And Luke's like, yep. <laughs> so anyway, it was, it was kind of a fun story. But by the time uh, the Boston fans had five, like there was five of them, on, on uh, and, and telling them to leave, then I think Jeff and Luke just decided, okay, well, that's five against two is going to be a real rough and tumble battle we're going to have here. So they stepped aside. But uh, apparently some of the wives and stuff were saying that it wasn't very nice, uh, wasn't very kind. But I think once the game got to that point, I, I thought the fans were, were respectful. Um, a lot of them stayed, watched the celebration. Um, I don't know what happened outside the streets because obviously we were inside for a long period of time until we caught the flight. So, uh, with the team, so it was, uh, it was, it was, it was something. Else. It was typical of the Blues, is what it was, guys. It was typical of the St. Louis Blues. Lose at home, get on the plane, and feel almost like, um, what's the way way to describe the way they were? Pl- they, they, it almost looked like they were like relieved that they got on the plane. I'm looking around like, you guys okay? And they're like. Yep, let's go to Boston and win a Stanley Cup. And that's kind of their attitude the whole year was our backs are against the wall and we're going to prove to everybody and we're going to shut this crowd down and we'll win the Stanley Cup. And they did all of that.
and a, a cool retrospective on Game 7 Friday night on FS Midwest. Meanwhile, Panger, as we get back into action here, one thing that I haven't really thought much about, and I know players are get back on the ice in August, and buildings are different now than they were 20, 30 years ago. I remember when we would play late in, like for the Monday Night Miracle, the ice was terrible because of the heat outside, and the building just didn't wasn't set up to keep that heat out. But what'll it be like when we're playing in the heat and humidity of Vegas or whatever the other city might be, and the, the, the players are having to deal with the conditions. Will it change inside buildings in 2020? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I remember the transition uh, while I was doing games uh, uh, on ESPN. Um, boy, I think I started in, in 1993 and ended in 04 or 05 during that lockout. I, I remember that how certain arenas, Tampa Bay in 04, when they won, uh, they had to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars of uh, of, of, um, of better dehumidifiers, uh, humidif- uh, that's, yeah, dehumidifiers, right? Yes, right. and and they, you know, you had you had all this, you know, tubing and stuff going outside, and and it, and it made a difference. There's no question about that. I think in New Jersey, maybe in in '03, had to deal with the same thing. Um, so anyway, getting to the point of it, once you get into June, anyway, like. Only two teams are playing. They're they're used to it. Uh, they're you know, but but now you're going to have way more teams you know playing in August, where you know most states are hitting their hottest and their most uh, humid parts of it. But you guys know once you get into the rink, it is so cold. The other thing to think about: there won't be fans and doors uh, opening and closing all the time. Once once the players are in the rink. I mean, no doors are opening. You know, you, you know what it's like in practice when you have when you go to watch the practice. They ask you to keep the curtains shut, even in the concourse, so don't let out you know any of the cold air uh, out. And, or if you keep doors open on the outside, they've got to close right away. They don't want the heat coming in. Well, there, there's not going to be that. I mean, there's not going to be people. So I, I think I think that might balance off the at, at the actual humidity and how hot it is on the outside. So hopefully that's going to be the case, but. Uh, uh, the players, I don't. I, I'm really impressed with how these players just manage to just keep going and not complaining and just just plowing through adversity like they like they do. And I think with everything that's gone on uh, in in this uh, world today, um, I think that the last thing anybody wants to hear is a, a you know hockey players or baseball players or football players complaining about the elements. Right. I, I think that would sound awfully silly if, of of these players if they did do that. Right. Panger, before we let you go, I know players take a great deal of pride in being nominated for and especially winning the Bill Masterson Trophy, which goes to the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. And when you look at Jay Bomeister's career, uh, he's the Blues representative this year. I can't think of a better guy to win it this year than Bo. You talk about persevering from the time that he came into the league to the time he got here, all those games without playing in the playoffs sportsmanship, his dedication to ice hockey, the, the number of games that he played in a row before he missed one. I think he would be an ideal Masterson winner for this year. Yeah, with all due respect to anybody else out there that's, uh, that's up for this, and, 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 if, and if you're up for this award, uh, you've done some terrific things, but I totally agree with you, Randy. Uh, this is a lock for me. Uh, this is a, this is a slam dunk. This is Michael Jordan catching a 422 pound Marlin like he did yesterday. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but I, I thought it was kind of fun. That's, but I think that uh, you know Jay um, 
And, and you know, for some of our fans, um, just I'll give you a, a little update on Jay. Before I left here for Michigan, um, Jay, Jay had, he, he has sold his house in, in St. Louis and, and moving back to Canmore, Alberta, I think is where he, he makes his residence and has always had a, a place around there just outside of Edmonton and Calgary. Um, he, um, he ended up, you know, having a couple of the fellas over just to say goodbye. So I ended up dropping by and talking to Jay for, for quite a long period of time and talking about what happened and, you know, what, what he went through and, and us returning to, to, uh, Anaheim. Uh, on the 11th for that makeup game and then having a coronavirus, you know, um, pause the league and pause the world. Um, but to let the fans know that he's doing well, he feels good, other than his hair getting really long because he never <laughs> went and got a haircut. Um, same old Jay Bowmeister. The players just absolutely love this guy. They were telling some stories about, you know, just some classic Jay Bowmeister stuff. And uh, I, you know, I know he's, uh, he's in a good spot health-wise, just obviously not good enough to play hockey. And uh, anyway, I, I, I hope that he wins it. He should. And I think he, he might get some uh, acknowledgement as years go on as a Hall of Fame defenseman. And I think he's a, that's something that uh, would be deservedly so. Panger, great as always. Thanks so much. Enjoy the golf today and tomorrow. And we'll talk to you next week. That sounds great, Randy. Michelle, have a great day and a great week. Thanks. All right, brother. That is Darren Pang joining us on 101 ESPN. By the way, I didn't mention it earlier, but do uh, you think that Marlin, you know, once the uh, lure was in the water, said to Jordan, oh, I'm going to beat you, and then he had no chance? Probably. And that's when Jordan started taking it personal, Randy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that really affected me when that Marlin said he was going to beat me. <laughs> so he reeled in a 442-pound Marlin. Of course. And he's kind of bummed out because there's a there is an award, a reward if you catch a 500 pound marlin. There's big money on the table. The first boat to catch a blue marlin over 500 pounds gets 552 thousand five hundred dollars. You don't think that Michael is trying to win that gamble? He's probably right out there right now. No doubt about it. And the largest blue marlin of a tournament gets 1.14 million. And so they they've already got that. Right, they have the lead right now. Pretty incredible. Coming up, it's the fight. It's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down Character? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Character, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN, 8.34 a.m., which means it's time for the fight. Colin, please let everyone know what we are playing for today. We are playing for a gift card to Surf and Sirloin in De Pere, home of prime USDA hand-cut steaks and fresh seafood. Surf and Sirloin is now open for indoor dining. Visit surfandsirloin.com to check out the menu. All right, Levi is Randy Carriker's challenger today. Good morning, Levi. How are you feeling this morning? I'm doing well, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing well, too. You ready to go, bud? Oh, heck yeah. All right. I love it. On this day in 20... Let me start that over. And this day in 2011, Tony La Russa managed his 5,000th career game. What a career. Only one manager has managed more games than TLR. Who is it, Levi? Is it Joe Torre, Connie Mack, or Bobby Cox? Uh, Bobby Cox. Question number two, Levi. Where did Brett Favre begin his NFL career? Was it with the New Orleans Saints, the Atlanta Falcons, or the L.A. Rams? Falcons. Atlanta Falcons. 
Question number three on this day in 2002. So Taguchi made his major league debut with the Cardinals. Which NL Central team did Taguchi end his major league career with? Was it the Chicago Cubs, the Pittsburgh Pirates, or the Milwaukee Brewers? Uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And question number four. On this day in 1981, Pete Rose tied Stan Musial's National League record for career hits. How many hits did Musial end his career with? Was it 3,630, 3,110, or 2,990? 3,630. All right, Levi. Colin is on his way out to get Randy. Pretty baseball heavy today. Levi, is baseball your favorite sport? Uh, I'd say baseball is uh, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, hockey, hockey, it's, it's 1A, 1B between baseball and hockey for me. Oh, you mean you live in St. Louis and your two favorite sports are hockey and baseball. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, I'm coincidental, you know? Who'd have guessed? <laughs> so funny. All right, Randy is getting settled in. Randy, say good morning to our friend Levi today. Hi, Levi. How are you today? I'm doing well, Randy. How about yourself? Doing great. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for playing today. We do appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Question number one, Randy. Yes. On this day in 2011, Tony La managed his 5,000th career game. Mm. Only one manager has managed more games than TLR. Who is it? It was 11, his last year that he averaged, he managed his 5,000th? Yes. Okay. I would believe it has to be Connie Mack. He managed for like 100 years. You don't get fired when you own the franchise. <laughs> he owned the franchise and managed. So I'm going to go with Connie Mack. Question number two, Randy. Where did Brett Favre begin his NFL career? Which team? He was a second-round pick in 1991 of the Atlanta Falcons. Apparently drank too much, so they traded him. wonder if they regret that, eh? Probably a little bit. On this day in 2002, so Taguchi made his major league debut with the Cardinals. Which NL Central team did Taguchi end his major league career with? I know Cardinal fans will hate this, but he really didn't look out of place wearing that cubby blue. He was he was a cub at the end. And question number four, Randy. On this day in 1981, Pete Rose tied Stan Musial's National League record for career hits. How many hits did Musial end his career with? At home or on the road? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> 1815 at home, 1815 on the road. Yep. Pretty amazing, huh? 3,630. We knew you'd know that one. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Sorry, Levi. Randy was on his game today. Clean sweep for Randy. He beat you 4-2. to two. The manager who has managed more games than Tony La Russa is Connie Mack. He managed 7,755 games. Uh, Brett Favre began his NFL career with the Atlanta Falcons. So Taguchi ended his major league career with the Chicago Cubs. And Sam Musial ended his career with 3,630 hits. Levi, thanks so much for playing today. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too, Levi. Thank you very much for participating. And you can participate in the fight each morning. We do it at 8.30. And tomorrow, all you need to do is send a text in to 65780. After 7 o'clock, just text the word FIGHT to 65780 and Freeze Pops. will pick out a participant for us. Baseball's perfect night. Sam, Sam Usual had it, such an unbelievable life. He really did. I, you think about the the baseball part of it, the uh, the eighteen fifteen at home, the eighteen fifteen on the road, all the little things that happened. Danny Mac has mentioned his last hit goes right past Pete Rose, who yeah. who passed him. But how many guys that great? And I think we can all rationally argue that he was one of the five best players of all time. 
but was probably a better person and is renowned in his home city more as a great human being than as a great player. It's very rare. Very rare. Are you surprised there hasn't been a movie made about Stan yet? I am. I am, too. It's remarkable. It really is. When you think about the way he grew up, and uh, there's a great book, George Vesey. That's another one we we have to get in there, the Stan Musial book. I do have that one at home, by the way. I just saw it the other day. But... (laughs) growing up and his parents didn't want him to sign a pro contract and uh, he was able to talk them into it and he played basketball as a kid and then starting out as an outfielder and injuring his arm or starting as a pitcher rather and injuring his arm and moving to the outfield so many things happened that were serendipitous for him to be what he became it really is remarkable what a great person to represent your franchise too yeah you know what though I I don't know that there's a villain. That's the problem with a Sam Musial movie because there, I don't know that he ever had a contentious situation. Mm -hmm. Everything about him is so good. The way he treated minority players, especially uh, African-Americans like Jackie Robinson and Don Newcomb. I don't know what the villain becomes in a Sam Musial movie. Yeah, what's the obstacle, right? Yeah. Because there always has to be conflict. Unless it's the same guys that took their shots at Jackie Robinson. And fighting that. But I don't know if he had to really fight a lot of... Going to war, I guess. Yeah. That would be part of it. There, And I guess the the injury, the, he was going to be a great pitcher. So I guess you could come up with enough conflict in a movie like that. It's still idea. overwhelmingly positive, and we can all use that right now. We sure can. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to Mark McGuire tomorrow about the long-gone summer documentary. Yesterday, Sammy Sosa was on the radio in Chicago and had some interesting things to say about coming back at some point and being embraced by the Cubs. That's next on 101 ESPN. Sammy Sosa was on ESPN 1000 in Chicago yesterday as we prepare for Long Gone Summer Sunday night on ESPN. And Sammy had some interesting things to say. You know, he has never been back to Wrigley Field. He hasn't been invited to Wrigley Field, which is so remarkably different than what the Cardinals did in welcoming back Mark McGuire. And he did go on an apology tour before he was named the Cardinal hitting coach. But Mark McGuire has a world championship ring from 2011 with the Cardinals. And Sammy Sosa's never been back to Wrigley. Yeah, not only was Mark McGuire back in the family, the Cardinals employed him. (laughs) Yeah, right. So it's completely different the way that those two have traversed their post-playing careers. But Go ahead. I was just going to say, question. If I would have asked you back in, let's say, 2000, or or back in even 2011, who do you think would get invited back first to Wrigley, Sammy Sosa or Steve Bartman? Who You would have never said oh, Steve Bartman. Never. And we That's know that he, that he denied the invitation because he just wants to be out of the spotlight. But to think that Bartman got the invite back before Sosa right. is pretty astounding. But he did get a ring, right? I, I believe yeah, so. They, they gave him a world championship ring. So, Sammy hit 66 home runs in 1998. He's the only player ever to hit more than 60 home runs in three different seasons. And he was asked about people who question that season, 1998. Numbers don't lie. I mean, you know, you cannot convince people. You know, you can talk to people to explain, you know, what you've been doing, what you go through. I mean, I mean to get, I mean, to, get to that point. But, you know, I'm not here to convince anybody. I, I feel comfortable that, uh, you know, that documentary is going to change a lot of people's mind. I hope it do that. I hope, you know, uh, open more doors for me and continue living my life. 
Sammy Sosa was a really good hitter. As we mentioned earlier in the show, and we've mentioned several times, the three years before he hit the 66, he had hit 36 and 40 and then 36 again. So he was a really good hitter. But when there have only been eight 60 home run seasons in the history of a sport that's been around since 1770 or 1876, so about 150 years, and there have been six seasons where a guy, I'm sorry, eight seasons where a guy hit uh, more than 60 home runs, and six of them happened in a four-year period. Something was going on. And while numbers don't lie, numbers can certainly be helped along. Yeah, and <laughs> it seems pretty obvious to me that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Sammy doesn't understand why he hasn't been invited back to Wrigley. No, not really. Uh, I don't see why not. You know, I can be invited uh, to Chicago, but you know, I mean, this is not in my hand. I don't, I don't control that. Um, I don't want to get in, get into much of that because you know, I don't want to create any inconvenience or I don't want people to get mad at me for some reason. You know what I mean? But. Uh, you know, I hope, you know, one day, you know, it's going to happen, you know, but, but you know, don't bother me. I just, just uh, you know, continue living my life. Obviously, it's ownership and the team's front office that doesn't invite Sammy back. I wonder how Cubs fans feel. Cubs fans text in 65780. If you would welcome Sammy back, you look at McGuire being in the Cardinal Hall of Fame, voted by the fans right. into the Cardinal Hall of Fame. I wonder if fans want Sammy back at Wrigley Field. I wonder if this documentary will do anything to put those wheels back in motion because when fans are reminded of the excitement of that summer and reminded of Sammy Sosa wearing a Cubs uniform and the joy that he provided to a lot of fans, I wonder if this will start to put things back into motion. And everybody we've talked to that was in that clubhouse. We talked to Kevin Ory of the Cubs yesterday. We talked to uh, Todd Hollinsworth, who played with him. Talked to Gary Gaetti. They talk about his outsized personality and how much fun he was for that team. Among the players, they really enjoyed having him as a teammate. They did, and I'm sure it would be a fun celebration if and when he ever does go back to Wrigley. I don't wonder, though, if the fact that the Cubs have won the World Series, if they can kind of stick their ground with this one and say, well, we don't really need to invite Sammy back while it was a fun chapter in Cubs history. We don't want to be tied to any of the steroid stuff and him denying it, at least in this time. And we can always, they can continue to ride that, that championship train for a long time. They can, but it's pretty disingenuous, I think, for any major league team to say, okay, well, we suspect this guy who never did test positive, so we are going to invite him back. That would be like the A's saying that, well, we aren't going to have a we're, we aren't going to have a reunion for the 1989 championship because obviously you had McGuire and you had a lot of other people that were suspected on that team. So are you not going to bring any of them back? This is kind of specific to Chicago. There, there are a lot of guys that were suspected. Heck, Biggio and Bagwell were suspected in Houston. Piazza was expected uh, suspected with the Mets. None of them pe- tested positive, and they're all welcomed back with open arms by the organizations. Do you think anyone even really cares anymore? No. I don't think people care either. So it's kind of surprising that the Cubs have taken this hardline stance because I think people accept the steroid era in baseball. They look back on Everyone has their own opinion on it. But I don't think inviting Sammy Sosa back to Wrigley Field would be a such a polarizing decision at, here in 2012. Well, obviously, it wouldn't happen right now because of the state of the world. But when if and when fans come back to the stands, I don't think it would be that 
big of a, it wouldn't send wavelengths through Cubs Nation the way I think that they anticipate it would. Right. Now, like Bonds, who, by the way, also has been welcomed back by the Giants and had his number retired, uh, like Barry Bonds, like Roger Clemens, like McGuire, Sammy Sosa is not in the Hall of Fame, and it doesn't appear as if he's going to wind up as a baseball Hall of Famer. That's one of the reasons that I asked myself, uh, you know, because I was good with every reporter. I was good with everyone. They asked me for an interview. I did my job, and, I, and today they treat me like I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't get enough ball to get in the Hall of Fame, and that's the, the question that I ask myself, and I see all the players you know, we should have our, um, let's say, Hall of Fame numbers give more both than me. And I'm like, why, you know, what is the reason? And any player from that era is not going to get in. Whether you are, whether you've admitted or not, McGuire's not going to get in, he admitted. Clemens isn't going to, Bonds isn't going to, Sammy's not going to. Either they're suspected and they're not going to get in, or they admitted and they're not going to get in. A-Rod, by the way, in the same boat, what I do find interesting is that a guy like Piazza did get in. That's exactly what I was going to bring up to you. Is how Were you shocked when he got in? I was. I was too. And I think people are kind of blind to writers, voters, are blind to certain players. Because look at a guy like Ricky Henderson, who was part of that A's team. And people think that that entire A's team was using... And he played until he was 46, played effectively into his early 40s. And his numbers, his power numbers went way up once we got to, if you look at those years with uh, performance enhancers, his numbers went way up. Yet he's still in the Hall of Fame. I like Dennis Eckersley, pitched very effectively, well into his 40s. I think it's reasonable to suspect him. But he's in the Hall of Fame. So it's interesting how there are some guys, hey, Randy Johnson, Pitched till he was 45, throwing 98 miles an hour. Started throwing harder at 90 or at age of 38, but nobody suspected him, and they put him in the Hall of Fame. So I, I find it interesting that some guys seem like reasonable candidates for suspicion, but still make it into the Hall of Fame. Other guys that are reasonable candidates for suspicion. You look at Ricky, you look at Eck, you look at Biggio, you look at Bagwell, you look at Piazza. I think they're all reasonable candidates for suspicion, and they played in that era, but they made it in anyway. And it wasn't against the rules in baseball at that time, right. which is one of the reasons why I am surprised so many people who have the power to elect these players into the Hall of Fame don't even make that concession, saying, okay, well, while they were illegal drugs, how many guys were taking illegal substances before they played games? It wasn't against the rules at that time. Yeah, it, it's it's really bewildering to me how voters make the decisions that they do. And by the way, if I think it was Ken Caminiti said that 80% of the players at that time were using performance enhancers. So it really was a level playing field. So McGuire was the best of the guys. Bonds was the best mm-hmm. of the guys. You just can't say, oh, well, he wasn't, he was. I'm just assuming that everybody was. And that's the way I would cast my Hall of Fame vote. After I watched that, I believe it was called Screwball, the documentary on Netflix about Mm A-Rod and the whole biogenesis scandal. I I learned a lot, and I then read up on it, and you realize when it comes to things like this, the people who are using are always a step ahead of the testing process. And so there's a lot of people that were involved in this process that knew how they were going to be tested and knew how to avoid a positive test. So we may never know, to your point, exactly how many players were using. And it seems unfair that because the superstars were performing at a certain level that the light was 
the spotlight was on them and that they would have to be the ones to take all of the blame for this, knowing that a lot of their peers were, you know, participating in this as well. Now, Michelle, as you know, I am inherently a positive person, an optimistic person. One of my favorite songs is Sunshine Lollipops, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well... Sammy and I are kindred spirits in that regard. He thinks that he is going to get his number retired by the Cubs. I believe so. I believe so. I think, you know, time will heal everything, uh, you know. And, um, you know, I am not rushing. I'm, you know, I'm a young guy, so pretty much, you know, in one day, you know, I expecting, you know, the thing go changing and somebody, you know, uh, check my case and, you know, you know, and give me, and, you know, and give me another opportunity. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, maybe it's because the weather is going to be so good today, Randy, but I kind of agree with them. This documentary is going, Randy, there's no sports right now. There's no baseball right now. Think about all the conversations we had about Michael Jordan and those 90s bulls in the wake of the last dance. We are going to be talking about this for weeks. It's it's going to be the one of the main topics conversation Mm -hmm. after Sunday night, after this documentary debuts. And there's going to be conversations that are presented to the Cubs like, hey, should we reconsider this? You know, he really did provide a lot of joy to a lot of people wearing this uniform. Maybe this is time for us to reopen the conversation. You know, media members are going to be reaching out to members of the Cubs organization, asking them for a comment on this. There's going to be a lot of pressure applied, so I wouldn't be surprised if they would at least start to reconsider their stance. Cardinal players that have had their number retired, aside from Ken Boyer, who died early and tragically uh, of cancer, all the the guys that the Cardinals have retired the numbers for are in the Hall of Fame. Cubs are in the same boat. Ron Santo, Number 10, Ernie Banks, number 14, Ryan Sandberg, number 23, Billy Williams, 26, Ferguson Jenkins, and Greg Maddox, 31. If Sammy doesn't make the Hall of Fame, they aren't retiring that number. You're probably right. And he's not going to make the Hall of Fame. I would note it. There you go. Thanks, Army. <laughs> so, hey, if Army says it, I, you know. I, I, I love that. the, I, I think the hope is wonderful. I think that it's great that he thinks that they're going to retire his number. Sammy. We're optimistic. We're sunshine lollipops, but that ain't happening. So maybe we can come to the middle ground and say he will be welcomed back. At some point. At some point. But he won't get the number retired. It might take a new ownership. It might take uh, the the next ownership that's not the Ricketts family. Well, apparently, Randy, they're facing biblical losses. So this it, is true. It, it could be a new ownership group sooner rather than later. <laughs> that's a good point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that was from ESPN 1000, the David uh, Daniel, David Kaplan, Daniel Kaplan Sports Business yes, Journal. David, David Kaplan. Kaplan at ESPN 1000. Next up, it's today's big thing here on 101 ESPN. And in addition to the Cardinals owner making some controversial comments yesterday, another Major League Baseball owner did as well. That's next on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.